what's going on, buddy? Good to have you in the house, sir. Thank, I you, want, thank you. I want to give you the opportunity to introduce yourself because I know you as Professor, the black belt, the guru, the guru, the destroyer. That I'll take the destroyer. I like the destroyer. <laughs> the guru, I don't know if I consider myself much of a You're guru. You're absolutely a guru. Absolutely. <laughs> well, uh, my name is Adrian Benavidez. Um, 37 years old. Uh, but I feel like I've lived enough of like two lifetimes for the most part. That's why I look older than I actually am. <laughs> uh, black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, which is how I know my man Button. And uh, been doing it for about 16, almost 17 years. Uh, awesome. Even though I have terrible math, but I believe it's more or less like 16, 17 in that little range there. I lose, I guess I, I'm pretty bad with numbers. So. Well, it's easy to lose track of time, especially at the moment. Oh, for sure. Current events have been a little overwhelming for most of us. Oh, yeah. To say the least, right? <laughs> so did you start with Wagner your entire career? Um, no, I, I started training jiu-jitsu at a, a spot in Pompano because I was living in Cold Springs at the time. It was, uh, it was like a little, it was a, a workout gym that also doubled as a martial arts gym but it was like in the back room where they had like wood floors and we would lay mats there they also did like the jazzercise stuff in that room so we shared the room with um with like a, um, a kung fu school it was a wing chun school and then us which was the jiu-jitsu side so did you get into kung fu i did i did i, I trained a, a little bit with the with the guys because they were actually all really tough and they all trained jiu-jitsu too and uh, different things here and there. They all had practiced different forms of martial arts, but it was like a little melting pot of, of just different people and, and different things. But the actual styles were they were being taught was jujitsu and then Wing Chun. But uh, so, how did you like striking? I mean, I like I like striking. It's just my body type naturally gravitated to grappling. Even like from the moment I started fighting as a as a kid, my idea of fighting was avoid punch, getting punched. Throw minimum amount of punches because I'm not that good at it. Grab you, slam you onto the floor, and then when I'm sitting on top of you, hit you. Awesome. you know, that was always my style of fighting. So when I found jujitsu, I was like, "This makes perfect sense for me." <laughs> Dominate and can like control the entire situation. I get it. But I did. I did enjoy the the uh, the striking as well. The the Wing Chun. I also did a little bit of like kickboxing and, and stuff like that. I didn't get too in depth with with a lot of it. I know the basics and. I can do what needs to be done and then yeah. mix it with the other things that, that I know. So Keep the thread out there until you can close the distance. And that's it. <laughs> Pretty much, for the most part. Uh, maybe I can grab a hold of you and slam you on your neck or something. <laughs> and start giving the brutality. You know. So what is your jiu-jitsu why? Where is it what? What is your jiu-jitsu why? Why did you start to begin with? Um, well, I used to work with uh, uh, this guy named Jason Jimenez. He, um, he actually uh, owns a school in, uh, man, I forget exactly where. So it, it's like uh, like near the Tampa area in Florida. Uh, St. Petersburg is where it is. Ah, I know that area. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's, he owns a school there. Um, he's the one that got me into training jiu-jitsu. I used to work with him. We were both cooks at, uh, at Chili's. And um, he, he used to tell me all the time, oh, you should come do jiu-jitsu, train with me. And then, you know, I, I was like 300 pounds at the time. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll come through, I'll check it out. And then one day I finally actually did it and uh, died. <laughs> <laughs> As we all do. Uh, I, well, but even worse, because I was like, you know, five, seven, 300 pounds, you know. There was not much of anything that I could do for the most part as far as 
like the warm ups and drills and uh-huh. stuff like that. It was a mission. But uh, he got me to come in and I did that one class and then I did not go back for a week because <laughs> just because my body was Beat so up. sore and I had to work the rest of that week. And I was doing like, uh, like working doubles and stuff like mm-hmm. that because, you know, if you ever worked, anybody who's ever worked in the restaurant world as a cook knows that they overwork the hell out of you. you know Absolutely. <laughs> I did plenty of restaurants in the Broward for sure. Yeah. So, you know, it, it was a lot of that. So, so what made you go back? What made you stick with it? Um, I, I like, I've always been interested in martial arts. It's always been something that I was very interested in. I, unfortunately, as a kid, it's not something that my parents had the time or I guess the resources to put me in. Um, for one reason or another, it just well, I guess wasn't the way that they were raised. You know, they yeah. didn't, they weren't introduced really to many sports at at their age or when they were kids. Maybe my dad, but not my mom so much. And that's why I spent a lot of time with, you know, because of how things worked out. But I I think that there was a it was that was a big part of it. You know, I would have avoided a lot of shit in my life if I would have had martial arts at a, at an early age because it would have helped me to, you know, it would have helped been a good. Uh, cornerstone for like I see we we provide for the kids at the gym nowadays right. you know an outlet for their anger an outlet for learning discipline an outlet for learning how to uh, you know operate within groups of people and you know how to improve and you know, and th- th- all the different things that martial arts brings you know I, I would have been great for me to have that as a child but I, it wasn't so I, it's not something I had so well, when I was a kid, the availability issue yeah, was huge. Yeah. It wasn't on. It wasn't on the like even close to the platform it is now. Yeah, popularity. for sure. Yeah, and there wouldn't and even at that. It wouldn't have been jujitsu if I got put in anything as a kid. It would have been like karate or something right, like that. That's exactly. And what who knows if that would have even piqued my interest at all? You know, so it, it's it's not like I'm looking back and going, oh, shame on them for not putting me in martial arts. You know, it's just more or less like it would it could have been good for me if I found something like what we have nowadays but maybe it just didn't exist and yeah, I didn't find anything until junior year of high school when they actually introduced wrestling the first year yeah and I was like oh this is weird guys wear tights singlets. this is <laughs> see I, I, the kind of the kind of stuff that I was doing as a, as a kid I don't know if I would have been able to wrestle because I was I was into the streets and into just yeah. crazy stuff like that so I would have seen wrestling and just been like I like the fact that we fight, but like you said, I'm not wearing that uniform. <laughs> Can was, I just come to the practice in shorts and not compete? It was a hang-up for sure, but it was i mean—it was an experience as well. Yeah, yeah, for sure. At least led me into the, oh, I'm athletic enough to continue this if I could. Yeah. yeah. But it wasn't available. It was just a different world back then. Yeah, for sure. So what made you stick with it long term? Because we all get beat up enough. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm competitive by nature yeah. like I'm just competitive and even if it's just with myself sometimes I'm like oh I can't quit until I do X Y and Z and, and then by the time I get far enough to do X Y and Z I'm like why the hell would I quit now it was so hard to get here yeah, <laughs> you know moving that bar exactly you keep, you keep setting the distance you know so and that's that's pretty much I think what it was you know I I started training and then I I, I enjoyed the 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 um, the physical challenge of it, you know, the, the, the idea that yeah, at the time there was only like four of us at that gym. It was the guy who invited me, the head coach, myself, and like one or two other people. Carlos Vargas was a, a you know, big help in, in, in when I was coming up as a blue belt and even, you know, into purple belt and stuff. Uh, he, and his brother was actually training at Wagner's, which is how we knew about that gym. And me and him eventually would talk about it and stuff. But you know, the challenge to me was I show up at 300 pounds, 
you got this guy who's like five five, five six, maybe, you know, and he's like hundred and forty five pounds and he's just manhandling me. You know, and like I said, I, I grew up rough, so in my mind I was like, Yeah, this is not gonna happen to me and it fucking happened to me. Right. <laughs> and it's like and the harder I tried to fight back, the more I would exhaust myself and then I'm like throwing up into a trash can and I'm like, I don't normally throw up like this <laughs> So was that your most challenging time in jujitsu? Uh, as white belt, yes, just because of the, the the hurdle I had to overcome of as far as the physical aspect of it, just mm -hmm. being three hundred pounds, having to you know to do jujitsu that is according to my size. Like you're not gonna get a three hundred pound guy inverted. You know, like Red right. this morning. Imagine teaching Red how to get a, you know he knows how to do it, but he's gonna struggle. It's gonna sound funny. It's gonna look funny, right? Right, no doubt. But so there's like different. Different looks at jujitsu, and unfortunately, the up until later, and even like right before I switched gyms, I didn't really get like a big guy look at jujitsu. And then when I did get a big guy look at jujitsu, he was just like, it was like abuse. It's like kind of like, it's funny because it's like kind of like what I dish out nowadays. It's like just like that. I'm gonna make you tougher abuse. You're gonna learn how to not give up, kind of uh, thing, you know. And that's what he used to do to me. He would just put me in neon belly and hold me. And just crush me, knee on belly, just knee on belly. I'd push the knee out of the way, and he'd knee on belly, knee on belly, and just murder me with knee on belly. And he was a big guy too. He was like maybe like two seventy. That's the, the natural course in jujitsu, right? <laughs> I overcome myself, and then I got all these beasts that like know how to brutalize and deal the real punishment out. I got to take that and learn how to compensate. Oh yeah, for sure. Deal with <laughs> it, and then distribute it. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you, you, I, I tell people all the time, you have to have the the uh, triforce of like tra training partners right. you know you got to have the three the 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 three you, know? you said it you said it last week the holy trinity yeah it's the trinity <laughs> right <laughs> and uh you got to have the three of them the one that just you beat merciless mercilessly into the ground they're not really a challenge to you now if you can abuse that particular training partner and then it doesn't become fun for them and nobody wants to use right. you for that anymore so you don't want to really just abuse them and dog them. And the reason I say it in those terms is because you could essentially do whatever you want with them. Right. So what should you do with that person? Those are the people you practice all your new things on. Like, you know what? I saw this move on YouTube or I saw this move on Instagram. I want to see if it actually works. And then you try it on them and you're like, oh, I got it to work. Yeah. And then, you know, you figure it out and, you know, you copy and paste that into the next skill level. And you're like, okay, now I'm going to try it on this person. And then... The, the middle ground of that is the person that you have those like head-to-head -head battles with. Right. You know, the person that just on, a, on your good day can still take you down and can still submit you and can put you in bad positions. And those are, the, those are important roles because they teach you about just grinding it out in those close, close razor edge matches or roles where you edge out the person or you realize that you weren't able to edge them out in this particular position because you lack the technical prowess or maybe even physical uh, to, to be able to overcome them in that position. And those are really important things to learn. And then, you know, the person like Wagner, for me, for me, it's Wagner, you know, that just runs you into the ground and right. just, there's nothing you can do. You try everything and every now and then you'll get some glimmers of hope. And even sometimes maybe you'll catch a finish or something, but it's so spread far apart. They might as well be galaxies away. It's like, it's like traveling in the middle of nowhere forever and then you finally find one spot and then you're like, oh, this is great, but I got to leave back into the empty <laughs> void where I'm going to just drown for many, many, many months. And What would jiu-jitsu be without that? 
But of course, you know, right. that's what sharpens your character, though. I think in, absolutely, in a lot of ways, you know, it just teaches you so much about yourself and about what you are willing to experience before you give up. Humble pie keeps us out of trouble. <laughs> For sure. Humble For pie sure. keeps us out of trouble. So, what belt were you when you went to Wagner's, actually? I was a blue belt when I met Wagner. And you moved down here? No, I was... Well, yeah, I, I, it took a while, but I eventually did. I was living in Coral Springs at the time with my mom and uh, and my brothers. And you know, there was a bunch of us in an apartment. And uh, we were I was training jiu-jitsu at this place, and the... The guy just, yeah, you know, he wasn't. Not to, I don't want to, you know, badmouth him, but he just really wasn't ready to be a, a good coach at the time. I don't right. know what he's doing now, how his coaching is, or anything like that. But at the time, he just wasn't ready to be a, the best version of a coach available. And right. I was looking for a way to really, you know, upgrade and 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 make my life better as and make my technique better. I had already competed like twice, and I did not have great results. Two or three times, I didn't have great results. I had great individual accomplishments that led me to those tournaments and you know I, I always give the absolute best effort that I can but I didn't have a lot of guidance in that in that sense you know like right. I didn't have somebody there with me I did it I did but I didn't like I said I had a, that guy Carlos uh, Vargas who he, he would go to the competitions even if he wasn't competing and he would coach me and then my coach of the time would like be sitting on the bench you know, talking on his phone with his girlfriend, or like being there with his girlfriend instead of like on the. You gotta like you gotta ask my wife. She goes to tournaments with me, and I leave her in places. I'm like, I gotta go over here to coach. I gotta go over there to coach. I gotta go over there to coach. I'm constantly moving and doing what I'm there to do. You know, it was the exact opposite. What I give to my students is the exact opposite of what I was getting at that time. So, so do you look back on that and say how or understand that that was kind of influential in a good way? Well, yeah, of course. You know, like it's like anything. You have to take, uh, you have to take that negative experience and, and turn it into something good, right? Because yeah. I, I could easily have taken that experience and just, you know, continued along my journey and then eventually become that type of coach where it's like, yeah, I don't really care what you do. Right? If you go to the competition, hey, good luck. Or you know, if I do go, I'm, oh man, I'm sorry, I missed your match. I was eating acai. You know, it's like, like I could, you know, like anybody in life, I could have decided to, ch to choose that path, right? But that experience, I took that particular experience and said, yeah, that's how I don't want to be. Awesome. You know, so I, I thankfully with that, I did the... the that the, also came years ahead of actually having a son, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Another, like, one for of those sure. things was probably good preparation just for being hands-on with everybody else and experiencing their highs I, and lows. And Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I say that all the time. I don't know... I would consider myself to be a good father. I know, and I, I've heard people say the Every, same. Everybody that yeah. is around you would say the same. And uh, I, I think a lot of that is just contributed to being around jujitsu and and martial arts, and and of course being a coach. Because not just being a part of martial arts teaches you to be a good father, but being a, a coach I think helped me significantly. Just just in even in just the patience department, you know, hundred percent in just that department alone, because. I think on my own, I wouldn't have been able to navigate these waters. You know, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of like family history of anger and, and things of that sort. So who's to say if I didn't have this particular um, path in life that I would have been the same father that I am? You know, I also, maybe why you found this path. Well, yeah, yeah. Or it found me for sure. Right, right, right. <laughs> for sure. It, it, all, it all worked out perfectly, I think. You know, like, I mean, anybody can look at their life and say, oh, I'm... 
yeah, this, this, and that could be much better. But you know, I, for the, for the most part, I live really, really well, and I, I enjoy my life, and I think that that's what's more important than anything else. Awesome. Yeah, we're um, all breaking generational curses. Yeah, for all sure. Us. <laughs> Nobody's fixed, from, especially from childhood. Hundred percent. Yeah, and, and it's gonna happen to my son. Something's gonna gonna you know uh, create a trauma in his life that he's gonna have to overcome. I think that that's important. Um, I think that. I think we, as as parents, we try to shield our kids from way too much, and sometimes you have to let the rain hit them a little bit. Oh yeah, you know, like I I learned that now. I think most parents learn that with their first child, and then when they have their second one, they kind of they go the opposite way and they release too much, and then that's how you end up with that second kid that's a damn lunatic, and everybody's <laughs> like, the first one was so good, is because you cultivated him to be that way, you know, it, and then on the second one you realize. Oh, I don't have to do as hard of a job and they're still going to come out good. But that's not necessarily true. You know, like there's things you don't necessarily have to worry about anymore. But then there are things that you do. You know, then you have to, you can't. I Like I say, discipline is something that you can't let up on. You know, like the moment you lose ground, it takes more steps to regain it. And with kids, and it, it, it's, it's so easy to just go. I don't want to argue with him, so I'm just going to let him win this battle. But that's the worst thing you could have. You should have just took that little 10-minute argument or something yeah. and, won, and, you know, proved your point, won, stood your ground. And I feel like discipline works that way, you know, and in my opinion. And it's worked well for me in that regard. And I didn't have that kind of discipline growing up. I had a different level of discipline growing up. It was all fear-based, you know. It was all fear-based. And it can't, discipline can't be all about fear either. Right. You know, there's different types of discipline. I feel different types of punishment, and I feel like they're all they're all important to the puzzle. You can't just only physically beat a kid, absolutely, or anybody in general. You know, yeah. like even as a student, imagine you know you get we have them all the time. Those hard-headed students that just come in full of ego, and you gotta you know grind them down into the ground. If every training session is just grinding them down to the ground, kicking them in the ass, and sending them back out the door. They're eventually going to walk out that door for the last time. Absolutely. You know, at some point you have to sit them down and kind of talk to them and just kind of let them know that they're rubbing people the wrong way or that maybe they're being perceived in the wrong way or maybe just teach them something in, about about jujitsu instead of just using jujitsu on them. Right. You know, but there's a place for everything. At Helping the same time. with that maturation is so important. Oh yeah, and it happens everywhere. You know. I, I've never been a huge egotistical person. I'm very competitive, but it's not ego-driven, I don't think. It's not because I want to be like, oh, I'm the best. It's just because I, I want to be like, I completed that task. Right. I, I, you know, I managed to finish that, you know, complete that goal of mine or reach that. It's not really about just physically dominating somebody else and being better than them at that. You have something to prove to yourself consistently, not other people. Yeah, yeah. It's, I guess it's more or less of that. And, and again, I, don't, I personally don't think it's very ego-driven because I have no problem getting up and be like, yeah, yeah, you got me. You know, right. or, or, it's, or like you won this time or something like that. A big, big part of jujitsu yeah. is being able to acknowledge when the other person has done something right or when you let your guard down just a little bit, no? Oh, yeah, for sure, 100%. I mean, that's how you get injured, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't acknowledge that the other person did something successful... It's a good way to get something injured and get seriously hurt. You, you know? said something that stuck with me last week when you said, "Yeah, it's all fun again until you go out of here and have a stroke or something," because you're just pushing it too far and you're just not yeah, for sure. using awareness the way we're supposed to. And yeah, and just 
the goal should be long-term. And it's not a mindset that I've had for very long, unfortunately, because I've pushed my body way too far over the edge for way too many years, you know, trying to keep up with like guys like Wagner and stuff right. like that, you know. But I've just learned that you got to pump the brakes sometimes too. It's not all Goggins' lifestyle, you know. Right. It's not all just... Blah, 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 blah. That's fake as it gets. I, I, I feel like it is. I mean, I'm sure that there's people that are around him that would be like, oh, no, that's really how he is. And it's like, okay. That's <laughs> sometimes. If you're not resting, you're not recovering. That's reality. Yeah, I mean, I just don't... I don't, I don't think it, it, you can possibly run it like that. You know, I've been... I've been operating at a pretty high level for a good amount of years, like over, well over a decade. I've been with, I've been with Wagner for like maybe 13 years, like 13 and a half, almost 14 years, I think, something like that. And um, you just, even him, he can't keep up with that at, at all times. And we're talking about a guy who's been at the highest level of grappling and, and, and MMA and, you know, and even he has to take his breaks and take his rests and there's both ends of the spectrum if you're resting too much and you're not you're not really pushing yourself then you're going to compensate with something if you're driving yourself into the ground you're going to compensate with something it's event it's eventually going to happen for sure for sure i mean i wish i would have figured that people were trying to tell me but you know it's recovery and 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 health uh like that those are those those are those those hurdles that you have to kind of trip over yourself. And uh-huh. I feel like that any important lesson is like that in life. People can tell you all day long, but until you actually experience it and solve the problem for yourself, it's never going to register. You'll respect somebody's, uh, and you might even believe somebody's uh, uh, advice, but until you have to kind of overcome that for yourself it's not a lesson that's going to really stick and and i i view like it's almost like when a white belt tries to ask me a really complicated move or a question about a really complicated move and i'm just like i don't want to explain that to you i've had to literally say that to people like i don't want to explain it to you and they're like why i was like because it's almost a waste of breath and it sounds mean but you're not ready to learn that right it's like teaching algebra to a, a six-month-old baby right you know it's like you're not ready to to take that kind of information in. I thought I needed that. Worry. <laughs> so, you're not ready to really take that kind of information in. You know, so at, at that moment, it doesn't really mean anything. I, I, I The way I say it to people is if I, if I explain it to you, it would sound like French. Right. You know, that's that's the way that I, that, I, that I explain it to people. I'm like, if I said it to you, it would just sound like French right now. So there's no reason for me to even say it at that point. So I get it. I get it. A lot of people want to come in and jump into the deep end because of, you know, what their preconceived ideas are. But if they're not really retaining their guard or they're not doing some of the basics, you're right. What is the point? What, what's exactly? What's the point of me teaching you, uh, you know, a uh, Imanari rule if you don't even know how to invert? You don't know how to, how to go upside down and collapse your legs into your upper body and like, you know, tuck. If you don't know how to do that part, why would I even explain the intricacies of how to trap the person after doing one? Like, 100%. you just saw it on YouTube and you want to ask me a question. Like, if you want to ask me a question, make it a question that's going to benefit you. What's it like going against the, the YouTube professors? Because everybody's coming in with something different now that they've picked up off of social media or YouTube and... <laughs> It's, it's, it's a good influence in a lot of ways because we can go home and study, but then, of course, just like you said, a lot of people are coming in with something that is so far down the line. Well, I think that people, uh, 
they tend to forget that looking at something on the internet doesn't make you an expert at it. Right, because if that was the case, every woman is a law expert because they right. watch a lot of Law and Order, and they're all forensic specialists. Yeah. You know, like solving murder they, they, yeah, they know all about solving. They're not all detectives. You know, they act maybe they act like it, but you know, watching the house doesn't make you a doctor. You know, so, absolutely. So it, it's a lot of that. You know, I just I look at it, and you have like I guess it's you know with your typical martial arts formula, you have to take the good and extract the bad kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I like it only in the sense that it promotes creativity and it promotes uh, more people being part of the sport, which in turn... Raises awareness, right? It, it raises awareness and it also raises the quality of the sport if done properly, right? Because right? you got sports that have kind of um, degraded in quality mm -hmm. because of popularity. Uh, it is kind Saturation. of happening in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, it is kind of happening in jiu-jitsu, unfortunately. But I guess that's just more of a take on humanity than it is on the martial arts themselves. Yep. You know, humans could take anything and corrupt it. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Even right. if they made it, you know, they could still take it and corrupt what they made. <laughs> Interesting you said that because switching gears, I admired the fact, like, from the, from the very beginning when I met you, that you were outspoken... And that you understood what, a lot of things that were going on in the world that weren't really understood by the masses or a big percentage of the population yet. And you were outspoken on your social media, outspoken in person. What do you attribute seeing through a lot of the COVID propaganda and a lot of this craziness in the beginning? Like, how so? Um, well, I just, I, I guess at an early age, I've just never really been about the bullshit. Yeah. You know, like I, I didn't, I, I, as a young kid, I was, a, I was a liar. Like I was, I used to lie a lot as a little kid and people would always call me out on, my, on all my shit because it also wasn't very good because you know, I, I was the That's kind of we kid, kids, yeah, yeah, I was the kind of kid that would like steal your toy and then play with it and then break it and then put it back and then just swear it wasn't me. But it was so obvious that it was me because I was the only person there. I'm like the guy that would fart in the elevator and tell you <laughs> it wasn't me, and it was just two of us, you know, <laughs> like that kind of like that kind of thing. And I immediately saw, you know, how people would see through me. But not only how they would see through me, but how they would perceive me from that point on after I was exposed as a liar. Right. So after I would be exposed as a liar, that was the only time in my life where I could really ever remember being embarrassed about something was whenever I would get caught like lying, especially if it was like a deep lie, you know, like, and as a kid, I'd, I'd say up until about like maybe, I don't know, like, a, like 11 years, 12 years old, I was a huge liar. I used to lie about everything, like just unnecessarily, you know, and I think a big part of what changed that, that gear for me was, like I said, when the embarrassment of when I would get caught lying and then it was like, man, I have to either double down on the lie and look even dumber or, you know, just admit to the fact that it was a lie and then be embarrassed for a, a small period of time, you know, and I think that was a big part of it. And then I started trying to find that in other things. I started trying to find the lies in other avenues of my life, you know, and, I, and of course, as a kid, you just start building through those. You start figuring out like, you fucking mean Santa Claus is not real. <laughs> There's you know, a lot of lies built you know, in like the culture. The, the, wait a minute. So what, who's putting the money in my under my pillow at night when I lose a tooth? God damn it! You know, like, yep. I need to know this. 
So you, those little things like that, you know, I think that they, they played a role. I, I, for better or for worse, I also started smoking weed at a really early age. So, oh. I, well, the first time I ever smoked weed, I was 11 years old. Dang. Yeah, it's way you too young. Me. Way too young. I, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's a, a positive. It's just, it's just my story. So However, it's say. not exactly what everybody's told us it was our entire lifetime. Well, either. well, I, I believe that it caused me. It was, it wasn't the gateway drug that maybe it is for other people where it brought me into wanting to do other types of drugs. I never really ventured into other types of drugs like that. What it did for me was it, it opened me up to, okay, how do I get this now? I want to smoke weed. How right. do I get weed? Where is the only way you're going to get weed? You have to go out into the street. You have to talk to street people. You have to, you have to, you know, learn that world essentially. You know. How old were you when you got your first job? My first job, like yeah. real job, I was already like nineteen, really twenty. Yeah. So you started in restaurants. Was that your first? Mm, yes. Yeah. My very first job was it was as a dishwasher. I was a dishwasher. I was, I, I want to say I was like 19, 20 years old. It could have been 20. could have been 20. I did the same stuff. Straight into the restaurants. Yeah. I, well, that was the only, because I, I mean, I had no high school diploma. I had no real skills to write home about. You know, like there was really not much. Like there wasn't much there. So I, was, I had a friend. It was friends. Interestingly enough, it's funny how like life will start to chain itself up. I had friends that I'd met through the street that uh, worked in restaurants and they worked in restaurants with that guy Jason who eventually brought me to brought me into jiu-jitsu and they were all friends and we used to hang out at their house and stuff so we all knew through that so interestingly enough I, that's how I found restaurants you know the majority of the jobs I ever found were found because somebody ushered me in you know like I don't it, honestly with the exception of like maybe one or two jobs that's how most of my work came about you know I started working at Wagner's because the guy that was working at the front desk had left and I had just lost my job as a, uh, working at a diabetic call center, like a call center where they sell diabetic supplies and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I did that for, for a while and Wagner was like, I need a guy with sales experience and you like to talk a lot. <laughs> <laughs> what you know? belt were you? Uh, purple belt. Nice. Yeah. So I had, you had I a had, good, you I, had a good like foundation. I had just, I had just gotten my purple belt, uh, maybe, I maybe had it for a year at best, maybe half, maybe half a year, a year and a half, like a, like half to a year. Yeah, I'd had it, and uh, and then he offered me the job, and I started because I, I used to help with the kids' classes, because mm -hmm. uh, at that time I was trying to, uh, I was trying to change. You know, jujitsu was changing me. I didn't want to do anything in the street no more. I I wanted to be able to make it to the next competition. You know, right. I was talking to a girl at the time that didn't want me. A part of anything like that so I, I, I wanted to be with her so I was like you know what I'll try something else because I've been doing this for you know 20 some odd you know not 20 years I'm, I was 20 something at the time I've been doing it for so many years and it only got me so far you know so I was like I'll try it out and see how it how it works and how it fares for me you know so how do you feel about competition now as far as an adult you know jujitsu. You're experienced in jujitsu. You can go into the gym any day and get all the training you want. Do you still feel it's important? Oh yeah, for yourself. Well, for everybody, I think. I think. I think being competitive is important. I mean, that's what. I think that's what propels mankind is competition right. and the. The like need to improve yourself. 
you know, that's what's brought us here. You know, can you right. imagine if, if our ancestors were like, you know what, sitting back in this cave is not so bad. Just <laughs> you know, we'd probably still be in there. You know, so it's like, I feel like uh, challenging yourself is important. And, you know, if, 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 if you consider waking up every day, going to the gym, training day in, day out to be a challenge enough for you, then that's fine. You don't ever have to go outside of that. But because that's still more challenge than, you know, the large percent of, of, of humans, uh, you know, go through. Yeah, I remember in the beginning I was I was challenged when I'd get up in the morning. Like I'd have that little butterfly feeling in my stomach. Like, do I really want to go in there today? I know what I'm going to get. I know what it's going to be. I'm going to take some beatings. I'm going to get put in really uncomfortable positions. And just getting in the car, dressed halfway to the gym, I was like, oh, I already cleared number ob- obstacle number one. That was a big challenge in itself. But yeah. at this point, you know, jiu-jitsu is fun. It's enjoyable. As long as you're not, like you said before, too run down. Yeah, for it, sure. it's a different thing. So that's where you get it. I think most I think most people experience that uh, that that feeling, that little fire in their in their gut. What most would consider like butterflies or something on the way to their first you know couple months worth of classes. You know, I think it's probably more social anxiety than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I'm sure there's a lot of like embarrassment behind it as far as oh I'm. What if I can't finish the warm up? Or last time I went, I barely made it through the warm up. I heard some people laughing. You know, everybody's different. Some people, some people view things differently. I didn't. Again, I, I've never been somebody who has been uh, really driven off of what people say or think about me. I don't. I've never really cared about that. I shed that really early on in life. Because I was a little fat kid, people made fun of me all the time. So that's like you know, you you kind of you kind of come to terms with it. You're like, people are gonna make fun of you, people are gonna laugh at you, people are gonna crack on you. You got to be ready to fire back, and you better have thick skin. So I developed that very early on in life. So I think that that and you pass it on well. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah. gonna I was gonna sit down and go, welcome to the vice principal's office, <laughs> but. It brings me to a, another question: Why is that so important, and why have it, why have people neglected it so desperately in this like generation? I don't know. I think um, I think we're living in the generation of people that want to be everybody's best friend. Oh. You know, and that includes like their own kids. Like I, I tell my kid like he's my best friend, and I really believe that he is because I, I love being around him. I love you know, playing with him, you know, teaching him things and he teaches me things, you know, like, and I feel like that's what best friends are. But I also know how to take that best friend's hat off and put on my parent hat and go, you fucked up, you know? (laughs) know, And I think that that, we're living in that generation where people want to want to interact like that with each other and nobody wants to call people out on bullshit anymore. You know, like, for example, if, you come up to me every single day that you see me and tell me that you want to compete. But every time I see you, you're sitting on the wall, right. you're dug, you're dodging rolls, you're barely drilling. If you keep saying that to me and I don't see your your training change, I'm going to call you out on that shit. Absolutely. Society tells me I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Why? If If we got two people, we got Ted and we got Tom. And Tom keeps telling me about how he wants to compete. He doesn't shut the fuck up about it. But he never finishes the warm-up. He runs to the bathroom. He shows up late. He never drills. All those stuff that I that I said before. And then you got the other guy 
who never says anything about it. He just tells me he enjoys training. He comes in. He rolls as hard as he can. He sits one out. He sits another one out. Then he tries to get another one. I don't give that guy too much shit. I give him a little bit of shit just because we're men, and that's what men do. This is how we improve one another. We, we, you know, it's important. Tell you pull your skirt down. You know, exactly. like that kind of shit. You know, it's it's important to 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 have. You know, but I'm not gonna call him out as opposed to the other guy. The other guy, I'm gonna go, hey, you holding up the wall over there again? Fuck, you're gonna compete at this rate. You've taken two rolls out, you know? Like, I will give him much more shit because he's telling me something different. And society is telling me that that's wrong now. Yeah, a dose of reality in a, in a time where people are so corrupted, like you said before, and so fake is, it's not, it's unbelievable how important it is and how much it is missing. Because you see it, and well, I'm sure you see it just as more than anybody, and the people that do come in and need it the most, they're neglecting it the most, generally. But you know what I'm starting to see, and I think that this is the take that I've gotten over the past couple of years, is that it's also being promoted to allow those people to continue to be like that, right? Because if you get somebody who pops up, starts acting like an asshole, and somebody comes up and puts him in his place, people give that person shit too. Because you were supposed to do it in a non-violent way. Or you were supposed to do this and that. Or you were supposed to just let it happen because they're experiencing something about themselves or their character. Like, no. Absolutely not. I'm not going to I'm not gonna reduce the quality of my life and allow other people's quality of life to be reduced. Because this person's exploring their need to be an asshole. Right. Like, no. I'm going to call them out on it. And if it becomes a violent interaction, then it becomes a fucking violent interaction. No, the problem is people are not stepping up anymore because now, instead, society back then used to view that as a necessary evil. So, therefore, it would be treated as that when it came into a justice situation. People would go, oh, yeah, he fucked that guy up, but he did it because that guy molested his son. So, I understand why he, you know, whooped his ass to the point of he almost killed him or why he shot him in the head. You know, guys like that, they got off in a lenient way. I feel like nowadays society's like, nope, we're going to push the fuck, we're going to throw the book at that guy so nobody ever, you know, stands up for themselves again. It's almost like standing up for yourself is starting to be looked at as a bad thing. Yeah. And I feel like that's done by design, you know, and, and, and I don't like that that's where it's headed because it's like, you know, the thing with the, with that, I think it was an ex-Marine who choked the guy uh, at, on and the, the subway, subway in New yeah. York and then, you know, the guy unfortunately died and then all that stuff. But it's like, that guy put himself in that position. 100%. Right? And, of course, you, people can argue so did the other guy. Right? There's consequences to your actions. Yeah. But it was a necessary evil. Absolutely. You know? Like, it was a necessary evil. Yeah. It had to happen. Like, somebody had to put that guy in his place. You know? So you're telling me that... Because people go, oh, but now you're telling me that his life wasn't worth anything. It was worth taking. So you're telling me that if that guy would have decided to do something to harm somebody else on that train, which he had a violent history of doing, right? You're telling me that his life is worth more than their life because we didn't preemptively do something to this person to save possibly this person and more countless people in the future. Like, It's a spoiled ideology. It's it is. Wrong. It's rotten. It is. And, it, you know, people take, uh, you know, even the, the ideology that I guess I would have as far as being preemptive on stopping somebody from doing something to, to somebody else and being like, okay, so then what, why don't we just do something like Minority Report where you can arrest people or possibly, you know, kill people for just the thought of doing something. In, in, in that way, don't you think the world would be a better place if we had that Wild West mentality? 
Like, is it an ideology or is it like self-preservation? I don't know, I don't know about too wild west <laughs> because I feel like what keeps what keeps bad men from showing their true colors sometimes is because they really can't take the penalty. They can't take the penalty of going to prison. Right. They can't take the penalty of, of certain things. And I think that that constant fear of going to prison keeps a lot of people, even though they might still be shitty people, but they might not do something uh, overtly violent because of the penalty. Now, if you strip everything away and you say it's wild, wild west, I feel like you'll get more people that show that side of their nature. If if we look in the wild, like a wolf pack or lion pride and whatever, any anything in the wild, there is a hierarchy, and it's and it's our domestication has kind of abandoned that in a in a way that just like you said, it's pervasive and it's really kind of destroying society in a weird way when there is no justification for just hey checking somebody who's way out of line, like the young buck that has no idea what the consequences of his actions are. Until an older one steps in and goes, you can't go there. And we've kind of abandoned that. That's what, I mean, just like you said, in New York, in the subway, that was, <laughs> that guy was out of line and asking for restraint at any, for you sure. know, any, any way necessary. I, I think also a big part of, of the decline that you're seeing in society is when, when we were kids, we had like older grandparents, older people to look up to that had, uh, you know, good thought processes. They had good advice to give, you know, like they'll tell you when you're fucking up. That, you know, even I, at, at my age, I'm only 37, but at my age, I had people like that in my life, you know, like, but I feel that... A moral compass? Yeah, it, it, more, more or less like a moral compass, but I feel like like the older generation doesn't step in and intervene into the younger generation anymore. And it's because the younger generation, I think, doesn't know how to accept uh, guidance. They don't know how to accept guidance. Or authority. They, well, they don't know how to, and the reason I look at it is because they, they don't know how to accept guidance or authority because nobody has ever shown them the necessity for it, right? right? Most of these people were unruly kids who had parents that probably didn't pay much attention. You know, mm -hmm. so in that regard, they don't know how to accept guidance. They look at it as a personal attack. Right. right? There was a guy at the gym recently. You remember him? Uh, that um, you know, he took everything I would say to him as a personal attack. Oh. And he was one of those people that were like, "Tell me, oh, I want to get better at jujitsu, coach. I want to get better at jujitsu, coach." But every time I saw him, he was shadow boxing in a fucking corner. Right. You know, every time I saw him, he was pulling a grappling dummy out and just slamming him into the ground mindlessly instead of drilling the technique that was practiced and that was you know taught a moment ago. I think you just drilled it though with absent absent parenting or absent of leadership young. That's kind of what people like gravitate towards is their own little ego world where where they know better. They know what's best for them. There's nothing outside of them. I think people took that that Miyamoto Musashi uh, quote and, and and ran with it that there's mm -hmm. nothing outside of yourself that can improve you. I, you know, I feel like um, that particular book, the Book of Five Rings and all of his writings were they're written almost like the Bible. They could mean you can interpret so them in things. so many different ways, right? Just like the art of war and all that and all that stuff. Never did he say stay in your comfort yeah, zone. Yeah, never, never did he say in in, in the quote, you know, that uh, outside sources can't be a positive influence right. in your maturity and your growth and development and skills and stuff like that. I I feel like if you could sit down and conversate with him, that is not what he meant. You know, like because how do you learn anything if you feel like you know it all? Right. You know, if you, you're not born knowing it all. 
It makes no sense. The inquisitive yeah. nature is natural, and it's it's shut down in people that didn't have that leadership. They didn't have that. Like, yeah, they didn't have that particular level of guidance. Or, you know, or I feel like you reach a when you don't have that level of guidance, you have to figure things out for yourself to the point where you get where you become almost arrogant about your ability to know things and learn because nobody's ever taught you anything, so you don't understand the concept of somebody coming to help you, somebody who's trying to help you. You know, and, I, and and in that regard, it, it becomes like as a from as a instructor standpoint, it becomes frustrating, and you don't want to even deal with that person. And it becomes unfortunate for that person because they will learn that lesson in at the hardest point, way yeah, possible. At some point, you're gonna learn yeah. that lesson. Life is gonna humble you. Then you don't know anything. Yeah. You know, and uh, I mean it's unfortunate, but that's just what you come across a lot in life. And I think that that is a big part of the decline in societies because. The younger generation doesn't even respect the older generation. Therefore, they won't listen to anything the older younger the, uh, the older generation right. has to say. And then the older generation kind of has a bit of a like disdain for the younger, and they're like, "All right, well, if you don't want to hear me, then fuck you too," you know. And then it, it becomes a bit of that. So there's a major disconnect there. So you don't get any of the insight from the older generation, and you don't get any of the advancement that the newer generation might be going through. Because to completely negate uh, their experience is wrong too. You know? Absolutely, they're figuring out just like we were talking about breaking generational curses. You know, essentially, we're saying, "What are we saying? That we're breaking things that the older generation unfortunately passed down to us." Mm -hmm. So sometimes you can learn a lot from that as well. So you have to view it from both lenses. But I feel like that's a big part of what's happening in society. You know, the, yeah. there's just no. So listening to the I think that's one of the I think that's one of the the silver linings to the podcast world that yeah. it's like kind of picked up steam as people are going you know what at least now I'm going to sit down and I'm going to listen to what this other no matter what your worldview is this other person give their full on opinions and I have no no choice but to sit there and digest it and go, like when you have a uh, a big argument and you can't steal man the other person's point of view you're not going to grow at all. And that's what you're you're seeing, I think, a lot with these kids is that they're not willing to steal man the other person's point of view in any way, shape, or form. Well, I I think uh, with with that thought there, I think it's also just because thought ideology in general has spread so far so far apart that there's no wanting to listen to the other one when there's so much space in between, mm -hmm. right? You got there's so much so far left, so far right that there's no ability to listen to the other person because I feel like on both ends, they're just completely, like they're so far gone, right? right? Like just think about, think about the, the most extreme thing you can think about on the left would be the whole gender ideolo ideology thing, right? Yep. Think about a conservative person even, how would, what would they have to do to wiggle their beliefs and their rules around a little bit just to accept a portion of that ideology? That would be way too much, Tough. right? What would what what one percent would be to one person would be the equivalent of almost fifty percent to the other person, and vice versa, right? And vice versa. So it, it, you, there's a huge disconnect there. Perhaps it would take jujitsu. <laughs> they have to they have to roll for six months before they realize the other person's worldview was so far off, and this one was so far off. And like, yes and no, because think about some people's ideologies branch into some things that you could just never ever want to share the room with somebody who does, who's true. a part of that. Very right? true. Think about that. Would you want to be associated with a child molester? Absolutely not. 
right? I, Unfortunately, my jujitsu experience exposed me with one my first professor. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they, it, they it happens, right? They're they're everywhere in life. People end up being exposed as as that, and you know, everybody takes things in certain ways, and they try to you know explain things in certain ways that make it sound different than what it Cultural is. Cultural differences and, yeah, and, and, and all this and other masking thing. it up in all kinds of yeah. craziness, but. Yeah, and they're they're in any avenue of life. But imagine, you know, knowing that this person is like somebody who has like let let's just really go extreme. Could you ever really share a meal with somebody you know molested a six year old woman? Kill? Nope. Ever? Right? You can never be sitting in a room and even think about listening to their perspective on why they did it. It would just make no sense to you. Ironically, there are people in the public eye now that are going to try and convince us this but is fucking normal. That, and that's exactly my point, is that imagine trying to listen to that. I, I have never considered myself to be a right-wing person. Like, no, none of us did. Never in my life would I have ever thought of Never in my life would I have thought to myself, if I was somebody who thought voting held, had some merit, I would vote. Republican. I never would have thought I would say something like that. And not because I think that the Republican Party is some kind of, you know, mask hero and cape fucking, you know, party. But, but their ideas sound a whole lot less crazy than the shit I'm hearing from the other camp. You know, so I, like, at some point I had to sit down and go, okay, I'm not really okay with this or that yep. or this or that or this or that. Yeah, you guys sound crazy too when you say certain things, but... I, it, it, the left has really gone off the deep end. I forget who it was, but the uh, saying was, if you're not liberal in your 20s, you have no heart, and if you're not conservative by your 30s, you have no brain. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that, but that's funny. It, 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 it makes it, sense. It did, it did, like when I was in New York and I was young, I was just totally liberal. And I, I embraced the liberal ideology, and, and I, I didn't want to like, think any other way. But it is pervasive. You know I mean, and as you mature, you can't help but notice, oh shit, these people have moved further and further and further and further left into insanity. And if you don't view it that way now, I think it's going to be detrimental to your health. But I, I think, and this is one of the first times that, at least, and I can think of that we have gone along with the crazy people instead of right. just put up a mirror and said. No, you're just crazy, man. You right. know, like, right. this is the, uh, I, you know, in, in jiu-jitsu, the, one of the beauties of it is that I get to have conversations with people from all walks of life, all religions, uh, you know, all professions. So, you know, we, there's a lot of psychologists, you know, at the gym, they have their masters and things like that. And all of them that I've talked about say that that's something really, really heavy in the world of psychology right now, that there's no trying to heal people anymore it's just pretty much just coddling them and accepting them for who they are like basically the way he explained it to me was like we're no longer taking the um which ones are the ones that force themselves to throw up are they bulimic yeah we're no longer telling bulimics like hey you are fine stop doing this to yourself we're going you know what here's this trash can i'll help you out i'll put my (laughs) finger in your throat and help you throw up you know like that's exactly what we're going through yeah we're, we're no longer trying to you know, help help these people mentally because this is a mental disorder. Yep. You know, we're try, we're just saying, no, nah, it's okay. Yeah, let's embrace good. the mental disorder. Wait, and wait, not- wait. Let let little six year old Johnny think he's a cat. Yeah. Not he's gonna grow out of this phase or no. They, let him be a cat. We'll have him drink out of a water, like a little saucer of water, and buy him Purina and nothing. Fuck. 
is wrong with people? This is I get I like I said I think this is all coming stemming from the the generation that wants to be everybody's friend. You can't be everybody's friend. That's right. It's exhausting. You know? It's not even possible. It's, 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 it's impossible. Not, it's not. It's not possible. Uh, I, I learned that years ago. You're not going to please everybody. Somebody's going to hate you. Somebody's going to feel like you didn't do a good enough job. You know, I've, again, I feel like, you know, not just to toot my own horn, but I feel like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a great instructor, um, especially with the kids program, like very, very thorough with the kids program. But I'm sure there's some people that feel otherwise. If people, you know? don't, if people don't respect themselves or love themselves, it's impossible for them to love other people. Well, that's so, for sure, too. <laughs> we've seen a lot of that. Yeah, But I, I, I th there's just so many elements to it. You know, like I've seen parents that will bring their kids into the gym and say, oh, we wanted to bring them here for discipline. Uh -huh. And then when I actually start disciplining their they kid, get all ruffled. They, they get ruffled. And I've, I've looked at it as two different things. It's either... It really makes them uncomfortable because it brings up some kind of trauma in their life or it's jealousy. It's jealousy that I can control their kid better than they can. And, I, and I've learned that it's, 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 it tends to be one of those two. It's either they're really uncomfortable with seeing their kid in difficult situations or they are jealous that I can put their kid in their place yeah. and they can't. Or both. Or both. Maybe it's both. There's know? people that coddle their kids so much that they can't possibly see them in bottom side control. It destroys them. Hundred <laughs> percent. People can't see their kids, uh, you know, in, in pain. Or, but I've learned that there is weight and merit in listening to what other people say to your kid, not just right. not just uh, about your kid, but right. to your kid. Like, for example, sometimes it, it reminds me that I baby my kids sometimes. And me and my wife, mine's is from a lack of patience. My wife's comes from just being a woman and wanting to, you know, f you know, fulfill all her child's needs. Mine's comes from a lack of patience. So, like, for example, my son has a hard time feeding himself because every time he starts making a mess, my lack of patience sometimes kicks in. And I'm like, here, man, and then do this and eat it like this and you won't make a mess. And by the time it's all said and done, I did it for him. So he never really gets a chance to kind of learn that for himself, you know? So, and I only learned that because I go to restaurant, I'll go to a restaurant and somebody would be like, hey, let him eat. And then I'm like, yeah, you're fucking right. Hey, eat this shit yourself, man. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it's like, sometimes that, that helps you as a parent. And I feel like sometimes people's egos are not ready for that. You know, they'll, they'll fire back with, I'll raise my kid out of the fuck I want to raise my kid. And a lot of times that's true. You know, like somebody, like my grandmother would be like, oh, don't, you shouldn't physically discipline your kid. And I'm like, that's bullshit. And I get a little, I guess, over uh, over the top with her and I get a little defensive, oh, disrespectful. But I tell her, listen, you went one for three. You had three kids. One of them is in prison for the rest of his life. And the other one destroyed you and your husband's credit and disappeared to another country with a drug dealer. My mother is the only child of value you produced. <laughs> and I, Breaking generational curses. Yeah, I, 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 I'm here to tell you discipline works. Yep. Discipline works. And I don't care if you don't believe in it, just move out of my way. I'm not, I'm not physically harming my son. Right. It hurts, but it's discipline. Life is suffering. <laughs> you know, like, I, that's where I tell her, I'm like, you, my son is... As of right now, yes, he's only six years old, but he's a kid that people want to be around. 
Jordan Peterson in 12 Rules, he, he made a really good point. He's like, you need to make your, your kids. That was one of the deciding yeah. factors. In, in, I mean, of course, I, from the moment I started teaching jiu-jitsu, discipline has been very important to me. But I, I heard the audio book of, of, Such of, a good of the Jordan Peterson one. And he said something that, that made... And he also, in his interviews and things, he said something that really, really resonated with me. And it was... Your child should be somebody that you want to be around. Exactly. You know, and if if I don't want to be around my kid, why the fuck would anybody else want to be around my kid? You know, 100%. honestly, the way that people uh, take my son, like, and and just like show him love, and when he comes into a room, the way that people react to him is like a source of pride for me. Mm -hmm. It really is. Not just because, not because I care about what people think. But because my son can come into a room, because I feel like this about some kids, where I'll see a kid and I'm like, shit, he's, <laughs> he's here today. <laughs> they exist. Don't let nobody, Absolutely. don't let nobody tell you otherwise. Little kids can be assholes, you know. But I'm just proud that my son is not one of those kids. Yeah. My son is the complete opposite of one of those kids. People are excited to see him. Smile people want to talk man. to him. You know, like people will buy him gifts, and not that any, not that that's important, but just. No, like just the love that he gets is important to me, you know, and that Jordan Peterson thing was a big part of that, you know, is, is just, and a, and a big part of that is what? Discipline. Yeah. You know, if I would have let him run amok and do whatever he wanted to do, he'd be a little loudmouth kid who did nothing but scream and cry and argue with adults and fight with kids and, and nobody would want him around. 100%. You know, and then what would he become? Yeah, yeah. He'd become an adult the, the same way. He become an adult that would that gets fired from jobs. He becomes an adult that probably end up going to prison, probably in fights all the time. Right? Doesn't have very many friends, or is, in a, or is abusive to yeah. his significant other, or, or is it a shell, or isolated? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, so that's I, a reflection of your fathering, for sure. It's definitely a reflection of your fathering. I think. I think. It, I think it's a. You know, of course, it, it's a reflection of your parenting, for sure. Hundred percent. Your your children are a reflection of that, just like I was. You know, all the negative, bad things I did were a reflection of my parents' parenting, solid parenting. You know, it is what it is. You can try to dress it up however you like, but that's that's life, right? Like yep. it's just like you got all your your um, plants and things out there, right? If you neglect that plant and it dies, can you still call yourself a, a gardener? A gardener? <laughs> can, right. can you call yourself a farmer? Unfortunately, yeah. there are a lot of people that call themselves mother and father that have done a, a lot of abandonment or, you know, probably poor parenting. But acknowledging it and growing is, you know, like you said, generational curses. And For sure. We're all breaking them. I mean, it, it's important to break them, though, right? Because yeah. some people continue them. <laughs> that's what we see we see a lot of kids that you know kind of need it but I, I'm honestly very grateful for my time at the gym seeing that because seeing that you know level of commitment and presence with the youth is making the world a better place man it's making the world a better place even if it's one life at a time one one family's kids at a time jiu-jitsu community especially through COVID and the amount of time that I've been training has been kind of a foundation for hope in the world literally because especially in California, you know, I came from there. There weren't a lot of other communities that I was able to observe and go, these people are, are doing it right or have got it right or are going to kind of help their kids be better than they were. Everywhere else, I, I mean, in the community that I worked in, it was kind of the opposite. They were outsourcing all their parenting to other people. 
that did were not committed to the kids. I, I think that that's a big thing in what we're seeing in society is as people are essentially outsourcing their kids to everybody else, right? And to tablets and, and their phones. That that's a, a big uh, a big outsource that people will have, right? And it, it's useful for for some things, right? Like I feel like the the iPad and YouTube helped my son learn uh, a lot about language and it, it's helped him learn his ABCs and his numbers and his colors and we did as well you know but, but just the time that you have him in the gym is a leg up on most of the community. oh yeah yeah I mean I get to spend a, a significant amount of time with my son which you know I love to teach jiu-jitsu and and uh, it does a lot for me in many different ways but it definitely doesn't make you a whole lot of money you know? <laughs> well man you know, I grew up completely poor and money was not one of the things, looking back, it wasn't one of the things that stood in our way ever. Yeah, I was well, telling my parents that not long ago. I was like, you know what, we didn't have money, but you sure did, you know, produce happy kids when it came down to it. And they're all well-rounded. And that's, and I think that that's what I came to kind of realize because I had a couple of moments where I was like, okay, do I continue doing this? Do I get a regular job so I can provide better for my kid? And, but I look at it as you have wealth in many different ways, mm -hmm. right? Just like health is wealth, mm -hmm. right? And that goes for mental. I feel like having a good experience growing up with your dad is an important thing to have as a, as a boy, you know? 100%. As a kid, you gotta have both your parents. You know, there's, I'm not saying one is more important than the other, but I feel like I continue to teach jujitsu because of the freedom that I have. Like now, right now, after this, I'll go pick up my son, you know, we'll eat some lunch together. We'll do some homework if he has homework. I make him work out. You know, we, we talk about different things. And maybe he'll go and do his own thing. And then I'll go do my own thing. And then we'll come back another hour in another hour or two. And then I'll get him ready. And we'll go to jujitsu. And we'll spend the rest of the day together. He watches me teach. And he learns. And, you know, like, I don't want to trade that experience in. That's at awesome. Least, at least not right now. You know, like, it. I feel like I'm I'm giving him um, currency in, in in other ways other than Absolutely. money. You know, I'm giving I'm I'm teaching him things uh, in 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 all this time that we spent together, and this is all just a great experience that he can look back on and remember. You know, like oh, I just spent so much time with my dad during the day. You know, and, and Bro, this this money thing and this whole acquiring stuff is new. This is, this is relatively new in the grand scheme of things. We were in caves. We were in, you know, different, you know, tribal communities not long ago where you would be doing what you're doing now. You're yeah. doing the most important things. Yeah, you go out, awesome. you hunt, and you come back. Yeah. <laughs> now the hunting takes all day, and you got to be there all. You got to be there every day at these exact periods of time. Yeah. You know, times have changed. You got to change with the times, but at the same time, I feel like don't abandon that real. Well, like you said, we're, we've outsourced. Uh, we've outsourced parenting to the school system. We've outsourced parenting to, you know, laws. You know, we've outsourced... You In, in general, society has always kind of outsourced parenting to uh, the outside world, right? You send your kids off into the outside world. There, there's a level I of parenting. I think that's new, too. Not necessarily. I mean, think about it. it the, the expression, um, it takes a village. Right. You know, but your village, your village, like now, like even when you see Wagner, like you know, talking to your son or somebody else stepping in is a lot more controlled than if you were sending them to a public school, you know. Yeah, well, it, it's, it's, it's a much bigger village for sure, but I feel like it's always been 
a part of our society. It's just now, the only reason I feel like it's more dangerous now than it ever was is because there are things that should be frowned upon that are no longer being frowned upon and they're being encouraged and now you get people trying to manipulate other people's Secretive, children right. into into doing things and just it's it's gotten really ridiculous so that's why it it's it's kind of like you have to kind of sh- shun the outside world in a sense but you also don't want to completely shelter your kid either right because there's a lot of experiences in the world that they need to have and if there's one thing i've learned is the more you hide something from somebody the more they seek it right yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If I, if I walked in here, think about it like this. If I walked into your front door with my hand closed into a fist and I've had that hand closed into a fist the entire time, it would have piqued your curiosity at some point. And, at some, point, and at some point, you would have been uncomfortable to the point where you had to address it. Like, yeah. what's in your hand? Now, imagine how much it would have set you off if I look at it and go, don't worry about what's in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> your curiosity is going to peak even harder yeah, at that right. point. And now it's like, no, now I really want to know what's in that hand. It's like... I'll tell you another time. You're, you're, you don't want to know what's in my head right now. A just bit so. of self-preservation, <laughs> a bit of human nature, and the inquisitive uh, stuff. But you, but it's gonna just like flood your thoughts from that point on. And I feel like the same thing happens to kids. The more you hide it from them, when they learn about it, and then you find out that they learn about it, and then you try to dig it back into the ground, you know, you did yourself a disservice because now they're way too intrigued about it. You know, and yeah. it's, I feel like it's human nature. You're better off just giving your kid a simplified version of it. Yep. You know, a, a G-rated version yeah. of it. You know, to the best of your ability and what they're able, just like we talked about earlier about not being able to absorb certain lessons. You know, I feel like you have to learn how to give your kids an explanation that's going to satisfy their curiosity, but at the same time not give them way too much. You know, because then it, it kind of degenerates them a little bit, you know, if if that's a, a way to put the word, you know, it kind of just, it maybe it'll pervert them in a way yeah. <laughs> if you give them too much information. It's just too much for that mind. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, and also think about, think about what it would be like to be growing up as like a nine-year-old boy nowadays. <sighs> the access to so much, so much stuff. You have access to things that we couldn't have ever even dreamed about having. Overnight. We used to have to literally steal like VH- VHS tapes from our friends' parents. There was like porn, you know, like there was no just Googling, you know, ass and titties or, or whatever, you know, when you at were every, when you every, were a kid. Yeah. <laughs> at every stop, there's something now that is polluted. Hundred percent. At every at every corner, there's something that's just creating more and more toxin in their life. It's just adding more and more to I mean even my my wife sees it now you know she's like man when I was such and such as age I would never be dressing like the way she dressed now or thinking about the things she thinks about now like you know like little girls that are like 11 years old thinking about little boys in just the worst way you know and it's like that's modernization has definitely not fixed everything it's definitely made it more challenging yeah there's some some tricky water to Swim through. <laughs> All right, so where can everybody follow you? You uh, put your Instagram in the show notes for sure. Yeah, just my Instagram, you know, uh, Pro and BJJ360, I think it is. Awesome. Right. Yeah, pretty much it, just there. We I, didn't even get into your art. Oh, yeah. Well, you know. I have to have you back over just to talk for sure, about art. For sure. You know, I feel like when not just myself, but people like myself, people like yourself, we're so multifaceted that there, there could just be so many different conversations that would lead in For so sure. many different ways, you know? So, 
I mean, I'm always down to come through, talk some shit. Awesome. Because you know, we'll have to get into the conspiracy world. Oh as well. yeah, we didn't even tackle any of that. I, I, I we, I was uh, just hanging out before I came here with Corey. He's another person that you should talk to. I don't know if you've ever yeah, really sat down yeah, and had we, a conversation with Corey. Corey's like, he's like a, like a brain with conspiracies and stuff like that. He's always, me and him spend, we, we'll, we'll sit down in my shed and spend like two hours just talking back and forth. Just blah, 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 before you know it, it's like, oh shit, three hours have gone by. Yep. <laughs> We've tagged each other and stuff on Instagram. Oh yeah, yeah that's how it starts. <laughs> yep. That's how it starts. But yeah, man, whatever, just let me know. I'll come through. Awesome. Thanks for being here. For sure, man. Thanks and, for having uh, me. Bro. Yeah, I'm looking forward. And uh, next, next brief.